a lot of reasons behind why I talk about knowing your worth is that if you don't know it, you can't fight for it. And if, if you don't believe in your worth, don't ask me to. That's really hard. And so I think that's where people who are established or have a good solid sense of worth, it's, it's on us to help others see that worth and then give them paths that are right for them. Not every path is the right one for everyone. Welcome to Owning Your Legacy. I'm your host, Lorette Rondonet. This podcast is about exploring just what it means to own your legacy. Through intimate conversations, we explore how to bravely tap into purpose, leadership, and becoming visible. My hope is that we inspire you to realize your own potential. Go after your dreams and boldly leave your mark. It all begins with bravely owning your legacy. Hi, Brooke. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So welcome to the Owning Your Legacy podcast. So nice to have you, my friend. And I think we do have a lot to share with our listeners. There's a lot of value in that brain of yours. So let's start with your story. And I did love the No podcast and you you nailed your story on that. And I, I learned a lot. So tell us your beginnings. My beginnings. I fell in love with a box of crayons and I liked organizing them differently than other people would have. Ah, interesting. And that's the mark of individuality. Did you ever read the book, the crayon book? It's yes. hysterical. Yes. That is the best kid book ever. Love it. The blue, poor blue crayon. Because I think they all have emotions. They do. <laughs> so I get that. So that was your creative energy when you were young. Yeah. It was the first time I realized something, there was something different about how I thought about things. Was that, that your first thing that meant something to you? Yeah. Oh, you nailed me on my own thing. Uh huh. <laughs> wow. Yes, that is the crayon box. Yes. Wow. That makes me think. I didn't know the answer to that question for me, but that's very interesting. That helps. Yeah. Okay. It was the first time that I remember organizing something that mattered, and it it hit other people differently than they expected, and I noticed it, and I saw that, and it was meaningful to me, hmm. and then I rearranged them differently to see how people reacted, and that's kind of an odd, indirect path until how I got into graphic design. Hmm. So you always liked to color and draw? Yeah, sometimes I just liked arranging the crayons. Okay. <laughs> Which is a whole different issue, but yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so tell us about how you got into branding and owning your own agency. It's interesting because I don't know that we ever plan a direct path, but sometimes the path is there and you still kind of go a wiggy-waggy kind of way. And being in a business where we focus on that all the time for the businesses, and a lot of times it ends up ending out in the personal brand of, of the senior leadership team and those individuals as well, you start to see that there's a lot of patterns. Mm-hmm. And for me, I started out you know, noticing that I, I had some kind of a relationship to color and theory. I didn't know those words at that time. And over time, you know, I was in art classes, but I didn't love them. Ended up going to school for graphic design because what I really wanted to do was be in computer science. And, mm. you know, first flag, that wasn't what women went into at that time. And in mm. fact, the schools I applied to, I was told that isn't the right career path for women. My um, college counselor in school, in high school, guided me away from all of that. Actually, he told me I should get married and just have babies. Wow. <laughs> what, did your, what did your parents think of that advice? Um, I think at that time, nobody really got upset or riled about it. My parents were very 
supportive of if you're going to do something, do something you love. And so I did always have that in my background and I always had that championship. And my mom did something she loved. She taught children in the high school and my dad did something he loved. He was a computer science engineer, which was where my path towards science engineer was. I really thought that's where I was headed. And and once I got involved in the graphic design path, I loved it. Ended up going into design agencies. I studied in Switzerland for a while, which was fantastic. Ended up getting exposed to really a lot of greatness. Now, young girl, young woman in Europe being infused and poured into by some of the greats of graphic design, come back to the U.S., not the same experience. In Europe at that time, it's now what we would call design thinking, but everything was diagnostic. I mean, you you were diagnosing solutions. Designers were like doctors. And when I came back to Chicago, design was, you know, things that you made pretty. It was not it was not designing solutions. It wasn't business oriented. And as I moved into the agency world, I moved in very quickly. I got recruited and recruited and it was nice. It was, you know, it's always nice to feel wanted. Mm-hmm. And one day I found myself in a creative director role at DDB Needham, and I wasn't prepared for what that meant. And I got a very fast MBA in marketing and strategy, and I loved it. I was like drinking from a fire hose, and I couldn't get enough. And again, all these greats pouring into me, some of the most phenomenal creative directors at the time, were all located at Chicago DDB at that time, and it was phenomenal. Wow. It was a heyday. So did you get the advice to get your MBA from some of those mentors? It was an MBA from the School of Hard Knocks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, right? Which is, yes, which is sometimes the best. It was very, very unlikely that someone was going to guide me into an MBA program. Mm-hmm. Again, I was female. But I was surrounded by other female great creative directors, so I could see me on some level. Right. I had a path, whereas oftentimes I think a lot of paths weren't seen then. And they were really strong women. They were very um, focused, and they all had methodologies. Hmm. And so what I got from that was a methodology. I went through the rest of my career inside of spaces and places where having a methodology was something I didn't even realize I was leaning back on. Mm -hmm. But that's really what people were hiring for. They were hiring for that methodology. They were hiring for the ability to ensure results. So I had high return rates on anything I pitched. I had good retention for the teams that I was building. And at that time, and I think this is probably what caught your eye in that one podcast, was I was an empathetic leader. They didn't call it that at that time. At that time, it was called rebellious, unrefined. Difficult. Untamed. Untamed. Oh my God, untamed. Love that. That I I was actually talked to about that in one of the agencies. Yes. And it wasn't just HR, although I have a funny HR story, which I haven't put on anyone else's podcast I would love to hear that. I sensed (laughs) that from your other podcast. I will never have an HR department. I'm like, hmm. They were neither human nor friendly towards me. <laughs> uh, no, there were some phenomenal HR people. And they actually taught yeah. me some of the skills and, and helped me validate some of my skills. But I was I was in a situation where the other creative directors were not on board with some of the unspoken leadership that was happening. Because, so give us an example of Untamed. Like what was something that you would have gotten in good trouble for, so to speak? So to speak. Um, or in it's just tr- bad it was trouble. trouble. Um, <laughs> there was somebody on my team, and um, I knew their whole, I knew their history. Mm-hmm. They had 
gotten married during the course of being on the team. Uh, two, three years later, they were their their wife was having a, a child, and she was having the child um, completely. It was a home birth, and so for me, it was really important that he was home with her, not just at the time of the birth, but a couple of days before. So she was settled. I right. felt that it was totally probably inappropriate for me to be putting any kind of expectation on either of them since I wasn't having the baby. Right. But I felt like the amount of pressure and stress that was coming from the agency at that time was enough that it would rock any household, no matter how stable. And so I was trying to pull him out of assignments. And the, and the, the, the client team was pushing the deliverables for the client up. And the deliverables didn't have any kind of regulatory compliant. Like there was it no could reason wait. it could wait. Exactly. But a baby coming, it doesn't wait. Right. You know? And so um, I was sat down and I was talked to and I was explained to mm-hmm. that um, not only did he need to be on site, but that the client needed to see him presenting and that he needed to be back on site. And I could see that that time frame was when she was having the baby. And I became vicious. I mean, I just probably was really emotional right. at that time. Probably could go back and apologize to a few people whose problem it wasn't at the time. <laughs> uh, had you been a mom at this point or not yet? Yeah, I had I had, had my third or I had my had my second child. At this point. Okay. So you, you know, understood that. Yeah. And 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 having um for, you know. Just even thinking about what happened with Rihanna at the Super Bowl, not that this is, you know, the same level, but right. you know, you're standing there and you're presenting and you're under pressure and you're about to have a baby and you are looking around the world and the room and you're saying, I'm doing something ninety-three percent of the people in here can never do. Ever. Ever. And the pressure for them to be able to do what they do every day is on me. And as I walk out of the room, they're gonna tell me I could have done it better. Right. Right. And looking at her accolades and the impact she's made on the world goes way beyond Correct. a Super Bowl, but absolutely unjustified. Yeah, just st- just for her to be able to stand to be counted mm-hmm. is one of the many women who've had to stand up while pregnant and deliver right. both words. Right? And I think both what's interesting meanings. about your story is that you had empathy for a man as a father. And you think of how far we've come in... Paternity leave, thank God. Because mm-hmm. um, back in those days, I know, I think if a dad got, what, three days off? Maybe. And, and, and everybody's rejection of that comes down to completely lacking the empathy for what he wants to provide for her right. and what she needs from him in that moment. And putting the company so far first. Or Correct. the company was putting the company first. Right. It's like the, the company's first, second, third, fourth, and then forget the mother, forget him, and forget the other children. So when you were this untamed leader and HR called you in, did they just say, you know what, Brooke, just you know, be quiet and kind of... I wish it was that easy, but that's not how it goes down. Mm-hmm. It was more me fighting, literally verbally standing by the fact that I did not want him on site for the next two weeks while the client team was really arguing. And there were women on the client team too. It wasn't all male, right? Like we as women have to take responsibility for what role we play and put people in too. Mm -hmm. And it was not just 
not just one person, it was multiple people with vested interests, which I understood and I respected mm-hmm. on behalf of the client, the agency. What does it look like? How does it, you know? And I just said, look, either swap him out or it's not him. Mm. And it was it was quite a fight. And I won the battle. I didn't win the war. Okay. Right? How so? You got him. So the the focus became unfairly visible on him. Mm-hmm. And so even as he returned, the atten- it wasn't the right attention for his career path. Mm. And as an executive creative director, there's no way to explain that to people. You can't, you can't explain the behind-the-scenes fights that go on for people's personal lives because agencies, generally speaking, and I know there's like a whole crew here, and when I say this, everyone's going to kind of like not know where to look, but agencies in general benefit off of, you know, kind of, reaping people's personal lives without paying for it. And that's where you see a lot of the discontent in the wow. agency life right now. Yeah. And so as a untamed leader, my view was if you if you protect those life moments for people and you give them a sense of pride and you give them a sense of humanity, yes, it comes out in the work, not the billings. I think a few people were kind of really happy to see me go off and start my own business. I was going to say, so then see how that works for her. <laughs> you learned from that experience and then you took it to your next opportunity. So then where did you end up next? I ended up actually being the exact thing I didn't want to be. Oh. And isn't that not what you thought I would say? Right. Right? I went into owning my own business and as somebody inside as somebody inside creative I was like a dancing pony inside of a velvet box oh, and that's I came a out visual. I love that I I came out and I did my thing and then I went back in and other people secured the business locked it in operationalized it and a lot of times there's two parts to this one is creatives going off and starting a business on their own and then second how do women set themselves up to succeed going off in a business on their own and both paths are really difficult so as a creative you do what you do and you're technically excellent at what you technically do Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you belong owning a company to me it sounds a lot like you're the visionary Mm -hmm. and the need for an integrator to support you correct which is i totally can relate to that with my integrator and and let you do what you shine at correct and not mess it up for everyone else. Mm-hmm. By the way, I edited myself because I really say it differently than that. <laughs> we swear on this podcast. Oh, we do. It's okay. We do. Yeah. So, so I don't. Fuck, I don't fuck it up for others. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> because, um, but inside the agency space, you're very protected. Right. And as a creative, you don't even realize how much fortress and buttressing is around you from the client management side. And a and L side, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so when you start. Inside your own agency, you know, when I started my agency, it was very easy to find clients. That wasn't the problem. The problem was screening them and mm. understanding which ones were healthy, not just for me, but for the people that I'd hired. And fortunately or unfortunately, I won a series of contracts very fast. I was good at pitching. It's right. what I did. That's yeah. actually what I did, right? I pitched. Mm-hmm. I pitched the projects, then I pitched the team to get them on board with the motive. Then I pitched everybody about the deadline, and then I pitched and I pitched and until it was sold and it was done, and then it was booked and it was a case study. That's what I did. <laughs> so I started my own company. I'm like, how hard? How hard? How hard? Yeah. That can't be so hard. Right? Everybody does it. And it's, I've been doing it since I'm 22 years old, right? There's one statistic, and I love this story, so you got to keep going, but I just read it on. Charlie Safro's post recently. Of, oh, it was a great post. Her Mexico trip. Yep, and they, we were both on that post. I, that was so. It got me. So she, yeah. So she took her. In fact, I think I followed you 
And Isn't that I was, weird how that yes. stuff happens and it shows up? I don't get the at all. But um, so for our listeners, she was on a on a retreat with her team in Mexico and they were all by the pool and there was mm-hmm. a group of men by the pool and they said, you know, which guy over there is your boss? And they're like, none of the guys, it's that woman. It's the one in the bikini with, the, with, with the, the margarita. With the margarita over there having a good time. <laughs> and on her post, she stated that less than, was it 3% women own businesses clear a million dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, you know, I mean, being in a very small group that gets over that or, you know. Well, wait till you see what I did. I mean, you know what I did to that billion, that million dollar mark, right? Yeah. I, I kind of kicked that door closed. Nice. Never looking back. Retreated. Yeah. Right. I, I built a business that I didn't recognize because it came so fast and I didn't understand what screening and qualifying clients really meant. I understood how to build a brand and right. say, this is the lead generation for this mega retailer or this monolithic company. But the tenacity of bringing in the right client mix for a small yeah. business was like not my thing at yeah, all. Yeah, talk about that. I think that's a great subject of knowing who our right customers are and even how to say no. And you and I've worked through a couple of no's on yes, your end too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's one significant one for me that I remember for you, which I think is the epic of all women being at a crux, mm-hmm. in a, a crossroad, a crux, mm-hmm. legacy. You know, I feel like that actually might have been one of the first moments where you really, you really owned your legacy, not anyone else's. And mm-hmm. we were just sitting there and it was a simple day. We're at the fire pit. It was our usual spot. <laughs> and, and you know, and we talked about it and you were like, I think I'm going to say no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. She owned it. Yeah, you can't sell your soul, right? right? And one topic that you talk about a lot that I love is know your worth. Yes. So dig into that a little more, especially for women. We say that is... That's a big topic. So it starts with that moment that something meant something to you. Yes. Right? Because we're all built off of something. Mm-hmm. Imprints, there's all the neuropsych stuff and everything. And I love all of it. I could I could play with all of that as much as I could play with crayons. But at the end of the day, there's something that you are still sitting here every single day for, and that's your personal brand, right? That's, right. that's inherent. It's built in. And when we fight it or we resist it or we don't nurture it, you know, energy flows. It either flows positive or negative. And so when we embrace it, it's unleashing, which is one of my favorite words. You have untamed, mm-hmm. I have unleashing. Mm-hmm. And when you unleash and you love, allow that, that to do well. in a structured way, mm-hmm. it's going to come to you, right? Um, but in the space of building small businesses, being able to help business owners, and when I say small, some of the businesses that I work with are in the billions, but right. they're they're not considered a large enterprise or they're behind the scenes, B2B based. I, I end up, for whatever reason, really doing well with the industrial and the mm-hmm. technical, probably because I still come from that background, but the manufacturing, I love right. it because there's these details and these nuances that get ignored, but they come from, they're inherent from the original innovator or the original need or the original science. And that is truly what the brand is. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes for the clients that we work with, you'll see like inside the logo, you'll be able to go back and you'll be able to trace it into something within the production line that's patented. Or you'll be mm-hmm. able to find it inside of, it might be tied to, we did one for environmental where it was the scientific makeup 
that actually ended up emerging into the logo in a proprietary way. Like Interesting. Stuff yeah. like that is, that's that's true brand, right? That's the grit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that was what you were asking about, but. With the know your worth, I was thinking more. Oh, I wandered. That's okay. I wander I all the time. <laughs> Those who I wander and I wander. What's that saying? Those who wander are not lost. So it's okay to wander. <laughs> we like the wander. Right. Know your worth. Okay. So it yeah. comes it comes from that that space of like what your origin is, what your mm. origin story is. And when you embrace it and you allow it to unleash, it's critical. And it's value. Mm-hmm. It's value. It's not commodity. Yeah. You said something really cute that I like. That if you don't charge what you should for your services or your product, that it's a hobby. <laughs> I say that all the time. I loved that concept. <laughs> it is. It's true. And I think there's a lot out there of you know men particularly would go ask for a raise where I just had that happen recently at Edlong where there was a one of our employees that deserved a raise and it was a woman and she's like, oh, no, no. I'm like, we, all, we laughed about it together. And she, like, she even knew after she said it how silly it was. I'm like, if you were a man, I don't think you'd be going, oh, no, no, I don't, you know, I don't right. deserve that. Right. No, and we mm. have to teach that. We do. We do. And a lot of reasons behind why I talk about knowing your worth is that if you don't know it, you can't fight for it. And if, if you don't believe in your worth, don't ask me to. That's really hard. And so I think that's where people who are established or have a good solid sense of worth, it's, it's on us to help others see that worth and then give them paths that are right for them. Not every path is the right one for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'll give you a good, good example of that. Friends of ours have a an, a property that they're um, bringing back to its native prairie state, and the mother has been home with through three kids, and she's now overseeing this prop this property transformation, and it's it's huge. It's it's reinvigorating back to the land and and bringing back the natural species and mm-hmm. habitat and everything. And it's it's not easy. It's hard work. She's out there like working with the crews and the burn piles and she's like farming. Yes, absolutely. And she, you know, she kept referring to herself as this, I just raised my kids, I stayed at home. And I'm like, you're actually revamping earth. Like you are doing some very significant, life-changing, community-based, ecological and governance-oriented things. And even the just stay home and raise my kids, like my mom just popped into my head because she used to say, this is crazy. I'm raising seven children and there's no value to it. Back to knowing your worth. Right. Every mother should get paid. <laughs> a lot. I don't know. You know, it's, that's huge value. Right. Because the return on investment is yeah. the value in the lives of the kids. It's, it's their worth, right? That's legacy stuff, you know? Yes. And the hardest job in the world. Yeah. And, and you know, we work a lot with um, businesses that are emerging out of underserved communities. Yeah. And the underserved community goes, it's it's a very wide range. It's everything from medical, mental wellness, you know, um, uh, military service through people of color. It's it's wide ranging. And so those are your clients? Is oftentimes, you, yes. Yeah. When you embrace that origin, yeah. it has so much value. And we spend a lot of time working with the individual owners, whether it's a business that's under 500,000 or over 500 million, right. it's the same level of insecurity that's sitting in there. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're all people and helping people embrace their origin to the path of owning their legacy is the hard work. Ooh. I'd love you to describe how you take someone through that path. 
It's hard. Yeah. It's it's harder work than I ever imagined. Um, when we redirected the company, I did not. I'm doing exactly what I thought I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I never imagined that I would be in, in involved in people's businesses and lives the way I am. Therapy. And I'm so honored. It's therapy. Brand therapy. Yeah. Brand therapy. But it kind it kind of is, and we we call the process brand therapy sometimes. Um, I used to have a big huge perfect. couch, and people would fall apart on it. I fell apart on it. Oh. Yeah. It's emotional, this stuff. It is. And it's um, because it's unleashing. Yeah. Because what happens is we say, oh, okay, this is, this is what I sell. I sell the, this cup. Mm-hmm. I sell you cups. And I believe in this cup. And the reason I believe in this cup is over here. But it's really right here. Mm-hmm. And, and as long as I remember that it's over here, then I can keep selling you the cup. But at some point, mm-hmm. I lose the connection with the fact that it was actually here. Right, and that is where all of us as business owners we go through processes where you get to a point where you're sort of disconnected with what it is that made you so passionate about the company in the first place. The source, the source, exactly the origin. Mm-hmm. And as the origin starts to kind of get covered over, it doesn't stop glowing. Right. And so when we help people reconnect with that origin, it's still bright. Mm-hmm. It's still, it's still hot. And so that's where the emotional capacity comes from because as they start to reconnect with what that origin is, their passion for their business returns, their commitment to their legacy and themselves, their understanding of their own worth. And sometimes it's not just a person. Sometimes it's a team. Sometimes it's a business. Sometimes it's a... Reigniting. Yeah. And so oftentimes it's very exhilarating. It's very... um, uh, It's exhausting. Yeah. Vulnerable, yeah. very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And you see, it's not just the it's not just the business owner. It's not just the leadership team. It's the you know twenty, fifty, one hundred, sometimes five hundred people mm-hmm. that have answered a job description that ladders back to the primary promise inside the operation that they do. And you know, I'll 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 be at a cocktail party with someone, and you know, a lot of times I'll. I'm hiding because I'm an introvert, right? And I'm hiding with you. <laughs> right. That's how we started. It's not just Which dinner. we are going to definitely talk about. Yes. Um, but, and and I'll I'll just be listening and I can hear it. Mm. They're not saying they have a business problem yet, but I can see it and I can hear it and I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a year, two years. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. Sometimes it cracks open, um, mm-hmm. but it's theirs. And so the methodology we use is designed to kind of force pressure force it all into a day so that it cracks at some time during that day so that we can then because you just kill them with exhaustion in that one day we wear them down yeah <laughs> I've been through a process like that before so I'm thinking um, do you have one that you could share that you're really proud of that comes to mind that you were like that was just magical we so we have thousands we just did one I think it was not yesterday the day before Fresh memory. So I, 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 it takes a lot for me to recover from them too. Yeah. Um, but we just did this one. It was beautiful. It was for a publisher. And mm. she, it, she came into ownership of a publication in a way that wasn't highly transactionally traumatic, right? And sometimes mm. the, the transactional trauma is actually what helps fuel the business, right? Mm-hmm. But she came into it in a really graceful, guided, sort of no drama manner. Hmm. And so she just started taking the 
magazine over. And at some point, she started to really feel like, okay, so I have this publication, I have this, you know, subscription base, I have these advertisers, and I have this vision, and I'm not sure how it's all jiving. And when we got into the brand strategy session, we we say that there's always an aha moment. We can't predict what what of the ten assets it'll come out in. And um, you know, in the beginning, her origin story was 100% tied to what she's doing, and just having that connection made for her was fantastic. But when we got to the technical detail mm-hmm. and the actual trueness of her position and her promise, it was actually her audience perception that was technically not aligned with her business mm-hmm. development efforts. And the relief on her face and like just the path forward was clarity. So clear, yeah. It was clarity. Clarity queen that you are. Yay. I love it. That's like, beautiful. Not lie. That probably felt really good for her. It did. And she just grinned for the rest of the next two and a half hours. She just was like, it was like, it was like she had a new love in life. Almost or, like something on her shoulders and it was like, ah. Yes. Freedom to now yes. I'm clear. That's beautiful. And the confidence. It's just, Ooh. it takes zero time to regain confidence once you have it. And she just, her decision making, her commentary, her ask of us during the next four exercises that we had to get to, it was just so fantastic. And then a joy to work with her, I imagine, because it was just. Yeah, and she's invested open. in a whole bunch of other things like social media and website development and other things that she's in the process of starting to have to give feedback on. And you could just see mm-hmm. like she just she straightened and she oh, became great. solid and she was mentally and emotionally solid. It was fantastic. I love the self-confidence thing. That's that's so cool to see. And that's knowing your worth. Yeah. Right. Everything from this moment of, you know, insecurity and unhappiness that meant something to her that she lived with her whole life, all the way to this decision to do the brand strategy session all of a sudden came into play for her. And I think you can see that and humility at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's like beautiful. Yeah, because respecting what it all means, Mm -hmm. right? And giving back, maybe Mm -hmm. then, you know. Speaking of, (laughs) let's talk about leveraging certification because I think that's really important for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. That is a fifty-one percent or more woman-owned business, and might not know about WeBank, which we have to be really good about saying what WeBank is. So you say it. Oh, I hate saying that. Don't I you? Always, I always get the letters like, mixed up. Women Business Enterprise National Council. Woo! You did it! Yay! High five! <laughs> Don't break the we mics. We need a new name. We need a new name. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's talk a little bit about WeBank because we both are certified. Certified. And our struggle. So you can start with the struggle when you first get certified of of leveraging it. Yeah. You have no idea what to do with it. I don't. It's really not on the certification organizations. It's not on their shoulders to teach you to be in business for yourself. Mm-mm. That's your job, really. And it becomes one of the harshest things that we learn as business owners, right? Whether you're women-owned or not. But men go into ownership differently, right? Right. They're just they're just taught differently at the playground level. They're mm-hmm. they're taught differently, and it goes into sports level, s- the sports level, and it goes into the boardroom. It just mm-hmm. frankly does. And so um, I got certified, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, all right then." And it led me into a place for me where I started winning these government based contracts, which is different than enterprise based contracts. And it redirected the course of my company. Interesting. And so then I stopped pitching. 
Because that took you to where you didn't like what you were seeing in your company, right? Correct. Interesting. Well, what or was not knowing the customers that you wanted. Right. I was higher. I, so I was winning very large contracts, mm-hmm. which meant I had to hire people to service the contract, not my vision, not my brand, not what I wanted. And I was adding in services and supporting revenue. And now my day was full of talking to accountants and lawyers and you know, politicians and, and decision makers, which was great for anyone when I worked at the agency. They would have loved it, but I liked my velvet box. Right, <laughs> I was very and, being, happy the, in there. and yeah. being the visionary, absolutely. And the company grew. I mean, it grew into the multi-multi-millions. And then I had the banks and all the support structures that we as women crave and need for growth coming at me in ways that I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to operationalize it. So I felt like a failure. Uh, and then I would walk into the office and I had hired people that I really didn't recognize from a value standpoint mm. because they were servicing the clients. And so I walked in one day, I, um, we bank actually, uh, Amelia Demenko at the WBDC in Chicago. She pulled on my ponytail at a dinner one night and she said, you are too successful and too talented to be this unhappy. What is happening? Aww. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even articulate it. Mm-hmm. And I had people trying to buy the company. I had people who wanted to invest in the company. And it was all just like, it was overwhelming. It was confusing. I was not prepared for it. And, and you so, weren't feeling joy. I was not feeling joy. I was walking in every day crying. Aww. I wasn't able to see my, I was seeing my kids less than I saw them before. And I was the one having to make the decision not to see them. And I was looking at people saying, they have to stay here. They have to finish this job. They have to finish this work because we're now under deadline with a client agency where we get audited. And the reality of having you know, government-based clients, as you know, it's very different than right. having privately owned. Mm-hmm. You know, Some things you can call in and say, look, we got to talk about this. And some things like you're up against the General Assembly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we started growing past what I recognized. Mm-hmm. And so Amelia saw that in me and she sent me out to talk, which was phenomenal, which I'm still trying to get you to I get. would have loved. I think my <laughs> I think I'm too old now for talk, but never too old for talk. Never too old for talk? Never too old for talk. Let's repeat that 15 <laughs> times. I'll say it slow. Slow your roll. You're never too old for talk. So talk about what that program is. So Tuck is a it's an it's an executive MBA for women specifically. It was designed by um a few really profound professors out of Dartmouth. And it's a business school of its, Tuck is a business school of its own that has this executive MBA program. And it's really tied into the the needs of diverse certification. So it really understands the different um, diversity, unique nuances. So veteran owned, women owned, MBE. So there's there's a Tuck MBE program. There's a Tuck WBE program. And they really dig into that origin story, right? Mm-hmm. Helping you embrace that, but operationalizing it as well. So it's everything from what is what is in your PL. Like my whole PL, I was looking at my PL every day wrong. I was looking at I, and I didn't know, mm-hmm. right? I was looking at a manufacturing PL. I have a services business. Right. So I couldn't Majorly see different. or recognize profit or loss inside of it. I was keeping a whole different spreadsheet. And that was how I was running, whether or not I thought the business was healthy. And Tuck taught you that. Tuck, Tuck was, not only did they teach me to be able to see that, <laughs> but they had instructors that were able to sit down and say, so like, how did you make those decisions so you don't make them again in the future? And how do you next time know to say, I need help? And that was the hugest thing. I did not know how to ask for help. Simon Sinek just had a huge, fantastic uh, 
social uh, posts with a podcast tied to it about the fact that the incoming generation doesn't know how to properly ask for help. And I think it's- Either does ours. Yeah. I agree. Totally. And I was Mm. like, but I resemble that. (laughs) I might be old. (laughs) I have three kids. But I'm not too old for talk. And I still don't know how to answer that. (laughs) And you're not too old for talk. So anyway- So how many weeks is it? Uh, it was one week, oh, but it's, it's one, intense. One week intensive. Yeah. Well, that's easier for people, quite frankly. Yeah. It's designed for women. They they understand that you have children. However, you have to be able to disconnect. Right. And, to go. And, and immerse. And it starts at seven in the morning and it goes till eight, Probably nine. You're working after hard. dinner, you know. And what you're basically doing is you're using your business as a case study for an MBA. That's, that's great. And how would people get into it? How do you apply for it? Do you have to go through WeBank? Yeah, you'd go through your regional partner organization. Okay. So, so for us, it's Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Everyone's got their regional partners. And it's typically scholarshiped. Um, there's a scholarship for it. We should do that with It's Not Just Dinner. So we have one coming through for It's Not Just Dinner. I haven't for talk? Te- I haven't got to tell you yet. <laughs> so you were talking about talk um, and how that really helped you learn how to leverage WeBank it did, well, So it didn't yet. What happened was I was at a dinner at Tuck, and um, Debbie Hurst, who I will love till the end of time, was the uh, CEO of the WBCS Southwest. So the Southwest region, like we have WBDC, Southwest region. Okay. And she was sitting next to me at dinner, and um, she tugged on my ponytail, <laughs> and she said- It's you, like your doorknob. Totally. <laughs> Knocker. <laughs> she goes, you're coming to my party. Like, okay. Okay. Her party was in Dallas. I thought it was in her house. It was at the Dallas Stadium. I thought it was just a couple people. It was like a thousand people. It was a gala. Oh wow. It was phenomenal. But she she helped me prepare ahead of time to talk to people and to engage with them. And I met people. I met Ricardo ahead of time, mm-hmm. who ended who's now on the board of It's Not Just Dinner. And I met a few other people, David Gifford Robertson, people who ended up becoming touchstones for me. But she taught me how to build a relationship with them, not sell. Right. And nowhere in the process did I know how to sell. I was awkward, uncomfortable. I didn't like selling. And I didn't know how to not sell either because I need to be able to support my company, right? Mm-hmm. And she taught me how to, how to not sell. And, and build relationships. And build relationships. And uh, that's how I ended up meeting you, mm-hmm. and then you and I ended up hanging out by the wall of the of of the event, having a cocktail, saying, "Let's hiding, get out of here, hiding in our corner." <laughs> and the first time I went, I was alone, so I didn't even have any of my Check. support, none of my support people. wasn't even sure I thought we could ever at Edlong leverage WeBank. Check. And you walk into this party with how many people? Thousands, it's like thousands, thousands, like like five. And there's companies like Johnson Control, Boeing mm-hmm. Airplane, not all food. I'm used to walking into a room and it's all, at least in the food industry, like, who are these people? It is so overwhelming. And what could I possibly have to talk to them about? Yeah. I seriously it, think the first one I, I walked in and I do walked out. Do you want to buy what I do? Do you yeah. want to buy what I do? Are you yeah. my mother? Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's how you feel. <laughs> exactly. So I think then we both struggled through this for years. And then and you're like, and I'm not, I'm not. Putting my kids to bed. Yeah, and mother's why am I, guilt. Why, yeah, kicks in hard. A mother guilt. Yes, yes. Why am I here, and what value am I bringing to this, or that bringing to me? 
So then we met. We, were, we won't even get into that because that would be like an hour. <laughs> but we had known each other in high school but didn't know we knew each other in high school. And we finally put that together. And we're like, oh, my God, long lost friends. So that was really fun. Um, that was cute. That was really cute. That's we a took different over, podcast. Yeah, we took over a whole dinner and then, yeah. <laughs> they were so mad at us. <laughs> they were mad. And then we talked the whole way home. So from that and our struggle and COVID. Yeah. But before COVID, we would do these dinners that we were right. more comfortable with. So let's, you talk about it's not just dinner and how that evolved. But you can cut me off and add like, an I'm happy to. So we had, we had, you and I had started going to dinner and other people from talk and your clients and my clients were like, where are you right now? And we were like, not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only, Lots of texting. You know, and it was, it was the opening, you know, it was the opening event. We weren't taking away from the gala. We just were, or any of the major dinners, but, um, and so people started dining with us and we, we you and I saw them doing business. Right. And that made us happy. Mm-hmm. And then one time, one of the dinners went a little sideways. Mm-hmm. And as you and I were walking home, we were saying, is it beignets or beignets? <laughs> beignets or beignets? And Beignet. it was you. I, I, I will always remember this moment. You're like, we should just host a dinner. And, and I was like, well, we can invite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, just, just a couple, just the ones that we really want. Intimate. To intimate, yeah, and it was beautiful, and those people ended up doing business together, and then all of them were like, "Are you going to do this again?" And we looked at each other and said, "Yeah, let's do it again." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I couldn't afford to host. I brought the contacts. You couldn't afford to host. And over the years, you and I and the different mm-hmm. founders have all supported each other through financial, time, obligation, growth, mm-hmm. child relationship issues, like. When one can't support, mm-hmm. the other divorces. one does. Divorces. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple of divorces. There's a couple of marriages going on now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really been like an amazing thing where as we decided to do that dinner, it turned into four other WBEs stepping up to host with us. Mm-hmm. And then corporations deciding to join in. And I think the reason people joined in was is that we were naturally teaching people to learn to leverage. Exactly. Walk in a room. That was our mission, I think, to... To start this sanctuary, sanctuary of mm-hmm. safety, and to learn how to leverage the certification, and to feel like you weren't alone. You're not mm-hmm. alone. We've been there, uh, and just to even have a friendly face when you're walking around that show floor is huge, huge, huge. And to what I and I think what a nice kind of silver lining of all of that was selling to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, naturally though, naturally. And, and then, where is it at now? So where's it going? <laughs> Fill me in because I'm a little out of touch. Because <laughs> you missed the last board meeting. I did miss the last board meeting. Guilt. Oh my God, guilt. no. Your team's been phenomenal though participating. Good. You're you're there in presence all the time. I am there in spirit and yes, I'm, I am need some help sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, all we, the time. We can't all be everywhere all the time, right? <laughs> we need clones. So for now, I'm showing up there <laughs> and, you, and you're here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so now it's not just dinner, is it's got uh, the five founders who've committed to the operation. So, and then we've got eight um, advisory board members all seated, and it's a two year commitment. The, um, the founders are Ed Long, mm-hmm. Jane Agency, uh, Commercial Packaging, Trans International, and Kolar Design. And I don't know if you've seen what's going on with Kelly, but she's just 
killing it. That's fantastic. She's, I have seen a little bit. That's yeah, great. She's uh, forum vice chair. She just took on a role as uh, companies of purpose with WBC, which I think mm. I think Jane's doing too. Ooh, got it. I'll talk to your team. Okay, no, I like that. <laughs> yeah, but she's she's really driving um, the ability to elevate women-owned businesses in a way that is unapologetic, crushing. So we have the five founders, and then the advisory board is you know Betaway Supply Chain, mm-hmm. um, uh, Cargill, which Natalie McGrady was uh, integral in yes. redirecting the whole trajectory of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. She was the she's first one amazing. to stand up and say, "I support this." Uh, Medtronic, Walmart, also uh, awesome. Uh, Meg Cook from Painters USA, great. She's killing it. Uh, Pride Global, mm. you know, we're doing you know so much with all of that, and um, so now it's not just dinner; is driving featured content into publications like We USA, and it's being um, recognized and. It's being recognized because we made a decision, which you know, Mm -hmm. um, to turn it into a 501c3 and start the... um, the, So we can take donations now. That that was your thing. I love that. Yes. You know, it wasn't that hard though because as women-owned businesses... We all have to have so much organized for certification anyway. That... Don't underestimate anybody listening if you want to get your certification is a heavy lift. It's worth it, mm-hmm. and they have to make it. I think that heavy of a lift to keep it validated. Yes, there, every year. There's no way that you can fake no. being a woman-owned business because they come and do a site visit and they make sure you're really running the business. They'll quiz you on your inventory, like they want to know you're reading your financials and that you have, which is is admirable. I think. Were you were on the certification committee? Correct? I was, and you could see what comes through and. You can see, yeah. like, there are people really still angling to mm-hmm. get that certification, and it's very. It was eye opening to be on the certification one of the most committee. Things. I, I, that really was helpful for me to see, and and to see back to the women that make less than a million in revenue. I mean, people are fighting to keep their businesses alive. So I have chills when you say that. Like it, that, like it comes up over my chin and my neck. You see all this stuff on social media. And when you really see inside people's businesses on a regular basis, it is hard. Especially from the ground up, entrepreneurial. That is so true. And back to it's not just dinner. I love the idea of the scholarship, Mm -hmm. which was not my idea. That was your idea. It was actually Kelly. Was it Kelly's idea? Let's give credit where credit's due. (laughs) Kelly's great idea to scholarship new certified women-owned businesses to come to the annual meetings, which Mm -hmm. again, back to, it's not cheap. Hotel rooms, you got to register. So I thought that was a brilliant idea and get them into the circle. So, and we did that, right? We launched it. We've sent about nine women. Um, I think the the strategic goal for this year that the board agreed to was 18. But what we're finding, which is what I was actually so excited to talk to you about, what we're finding is that what they really value is the prep call, the know before you go, having the ability to walk into the dinner for it's not just dinner, knowing five to seven people already, knowing that what their their path is for the um it's the a trade mentorship, show. right? It's yes. mentorship. And then they come out of the dinner and well, they know we about would have been 60 awesome people. if we had mentorship before, for you know seven years before we met each other. That's why we were <laughs> hanging on a wall, suck, you know, yeah. like sitting there like, ah, where's my mom? <laughs> yes. Well, that's fantastic, Brooke. And I really got to say congratulations because you have done a lot 
keeping that together, keeping it moving, keeping the momentum. Are you kidding me? You're a huge part of it. I'm just your support. (laughs) I'm going, go Brooke, go Brooke. And I'm I'm in the background. And no, I I love it though. I think it's impactful. It is. It's fantastic. It's very impactful. It's amazing how each of us in different ways have stepped up with different strengths and, you know, um, the fortitude that you put behind it, the imagination that Kelly put behind it, Mm -hmm. Rachel with all of the details, Jamie. Jamie's holding the financials like stable for all of us yeah. and and just quietly like holding the integrity of the scholarship fund together. Right. Yeah. That it's it's everybody. It is everybody. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we could talk forever. I know we could, <laughs> and we have. Sometimes till the wee hours of the morning. So um I'm gonna kind of wrap with this last question. I'm but you this. might know what it is. So what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Changing the way women think about being in business and their own worth. Ooh, more, a little more on that. I love that. So I might be ahead of myself in what I'm sharing here. That's okay. But um, so people, and probably like one out of five business calls, people will say to me or someone on our team that I should write a book. I don't want to write a book. Write a book. I've never wanted to write a book. And I always said, nobody wants to read a book on brand strategy. Oh, yes, they do. And I don't want to write a book on brand strategy. Okay, well, then don't write a book on brand strategy. But what has come so forefront to us is this notion of origin story. And so um, Jane just had its first on-site retreat in seven years. We've been virtual since 2017. And the team identified three really powerful revenue streams and go-to-market approaches and they all center on the origin story and the brand strategy in a way that is so phenomenal. And so we started talking as a team about origin story and what that means and the power that that has. It's like the magical story you were sharing with me of the publisher. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and we just went back through like 3,000 case studies. And we have, you know, over 200 or uh, 2,800 hours of privately contracted user research inside of businesses looking at supply chains. And you look everywhere from where it started to where it is and where it needs to go. And it's all about the origin story. And it leads straight into owning your legacy. Isn't that crazy? Oh my gosh. I got chills. (laughs) I love that. That is very cool. But it's really powerful. So it's in that space. And and that's where the, the, the ability for the other people within the company sit to be able to take their origin story to a whole new level within the company. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. It's and their so own. It's grown past me, which is phenomenal in a way mm-hmm. I recognize. And that you find joy in. I find joy, so much so joy. That's yeah. what it's all about. Thank you for being with us. And um, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Owning Your Legacy. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with others and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about me and how I am owning my legacy, you can find me on Instagram at Lorette Rondonet and online at LoretteRondonet.com. Until next time.